this. We've been in the Psalms, Psalm 16, two weeks ago, if you remember that. Bishop talked about the path to joy. And then uh, last week online, Pastor David shared with us out of Psalm 46. And so today we're in Psalm 32, and we're forgetting not. We're remembering some things. So let's read Psalm 32 together this morning. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I want you to notice verse 8 right there, the subject, the, the, the conversation shifts. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. This is God talking now. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle else they will not come near to you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. We're going to spend just a few minutes uh, trying to draw from this psalm the word of the Lord to us today. And I want to call this uh, time of teaching surrounded by mercy, surrounded by mercy. Lord, we ask you to open our hearts in a special way right now. Lord, for those of us that are joined online, we just pray that you would meet with us wherever we're, we're watching. And for those of us right here in the sanctuary, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you're saying to us. And we trust you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I love the fact that God put it in Bishop's heart um, to spend time in the Psalms. And when we're going through turbulent times and unpredictable times, the Psalms are some of Scripture's greatest gift to us. Because in the Psalms, we get introduced to every range of emotion. So everything that you experience as a human can be found as a psalm. Have you ever read one of those psalms, and after you read it, you thought, man, that guy's almost depressed. Like, I'm, I need to pray for the guy who wrote that psalm, right? Because psalms are full of things that are up and down and all around. And uh, the psalms are a gift to us because they teach us how to deal with what we call the interior world of our life. So watch this. Culture is constantly telling us to speed up and ignore our internal life. But Scripture is always encouraging us to pay attention to our interior life. 
How many of you found that if you just live life in the world, you'll be tracking along at a pace where you're not even paying attention to what goes on inside of you? But the Psalms uh, come along and say, hey, hold on. Let's ask some questions about what's going on inside. So in the Psalms, we find questions like, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. So in the Psalms, we find the psalmist asking himself questions about what's going on on the inside of him. And it's not just the Psalms. How many of you know uh, that the older and the wiser you get, you'll find out that it's really smart to pay attention to your interior or your inner life? So there's great wisdom. I'm going to share. Uh, I'm going to take several different shots. I think they have some quotes. If you guys can put these quotes up one at a time. Uh, there was a guy named Socrates, and he said, The unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. I don't know. Maybe they don't have that for the screen, but you can just, they're short, so you can just run with it. There's another guy named St. Augustine, right? And he said, Oh God, let me know myself. And let me know you. So maybe you don't like Socrates or you don't like Augustine. Maybe you like uh, the reformers. John Calvin said, the knowledge of God and of ourselves are connected. Without knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. All right, so maybe you're not a fan of Socrates or Augustine or John Calvin, let me give you a more contemporary wise thinker. And he said this, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's not Socrates, that's Ice Cube. And I think Ice Cube is tapping into some eternal wisdom. Look at your neighbor and say, you better check yourself or you're going to wreck yourself. Ice Cube is letting us know if you don't pay attention to what's going on under the hood of your life, you got to pay attention to that check oil light or you're going to end up on the side of the road broke down, overheated, and needing to call AAA. Are you with me? So the Psalms teach us what it looks like, watch this, not to ignore our interior world, but watch this, but to invite God into our interior world. So through prayer and through the Psalms, that's why in this season I hope that you're taking the Psalms. Because here's the thing, in church we, we, we try to lead people in following Jesus. But here's one thing I've learned. We can't really lead you in following Jesus by changing what you do once a week. So we have this thing in American Christianity where we think, man, if people are serious about Jesus, then they once a week, they make time to get online or come to church, and they do that once a week. But I got news for you. I love you. I want you to come to church once a week. Please come to church every week. But doing something once a week will not change your life. What will change your life is changing what you do every day. And if you start getting into the Psalms every day, and you start praying the Psalms every day, and you start reading the Psalms every day, and you start saying, God, I'm inviting you into my interior world every day. Don't come hear a great message every seven days, but find time in your life to get in the Word of God and get in the presence of God, even if it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and say, God, I'm inviting you into this area of my life because I need you to work some grace 
grace into my life. I need you to work some transformation. I need some adjustment. I'm going to check myself so that I don't wreck myself. So I want to uh, use this illustration. If you guys can come help me just um, flip the, this whiteboard around because... I will, uh, it's the biggest white world in, in America, and so I can't flip it around by myself. So Psalm 32 talks to us about diving down into. So real quick, some context on Psalm 32. It goes along with Psalm 51. You remember Psalm 51 is when David confesses his sin to God. I'm telling you guys, it's literally the biggest whiteboard in the world, I promise. Um, so so David comes and he confesses and he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. He rejoices in the fact that God's forgiven him of this great sin where, you know, David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and he has Bathsheba's husband uh, killed on the front lines of battle and he goes through this terrible uh, thing. In Psalm 32, we see what's going on in David's life before he gets to Psalm 51. And he says, I, I decided to close my interior world off to God. I decided to try to solve this problem by myself. How many of you know there's some problems in your life that you can't solve by yourself? There's some problems in your life. In fact, there's not a single problem in your life that you can actually solve by yourself. If you think you can solve it by yourself, you probably really haven't solved it. Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do Nothing. So in Jesus' opinion, you can't do anything without his help. So it's a great habit as Christians to begin to develop the habit of saying, Jesus, every day I need you. I need you to drive to work. I need you to be a husband. In order to be the father, I need to be. In order to be the employee, I need to be. I need you. I abide in you. Every resource that I could possibly need today, it's going to essentially and ultimately come from you Jesus. And so there's been a lot of, uh, of, of research, and a lot of this is a big iceberg that I had them draw for us. And so you may have seen this before, uh, but in this iceberg, uh, essentially we have, we have our external world. And so that's right up here. And that's what you let everyone see. So your actions, your behavior, your attitude, I mean, your attitudes that you allow people to see. And then you have attitudes that you don't allow people to see. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? Attitudes is on the line. How many of you know you got some attitudes you let people see and you got some attitudes you don't let people see? And so your words, though, that you speak, your behavior and your actions are all things a part of your external world. And if we're not careful, like I said, and we allow society to, to get us to live at a certain pace, we'll just live up here. And we just live up here, and we just wake up, and the words that come to our mind are the words that we use and the actions. And then how many of you know sometimes our actions start turning into reactions? And then I begin living a reactive life so that I'm actually just reacting to what came up on Facebook this morning when I woke up. I'm not living my life. Facebook's living my life. I'm not living my life. Whoever just texted me last is living my life. I'm preaching good right now. So that I'm not driving the ship of my life, but it's being driven by things that come into my external world, and I just keep reacting to them. And so uh, as, we, as we begin to understand, there's more to my life, much more down here than there ever is up here. So down here I've got thoughts and feelings and emotions. 
And then deeper still, I have desires and longings that I don't even know are there. And how many of you found out that you've lived long enough to realize that before long, if you don't pay attention to it, all this stuff just kind of floats to the top. And then in moments when the world goes crazy and the school changes their mind and your kids are now at home, they were supposed to be at school, they changed their mind four times, and now my kid's running around, they're on Zoom trying to do sixth grade math. I can't even do sixth grade math. All of a sudden, if this thing starts boiling to the top, then it starts popping up up here and somebody asks me a simple question at work and I go off on them. Or my wife asks me why that dirty sock is on the floor and I lose my ever-loving mind. I'm just relaying things that have never happened to me in my life that other people I've heard about have had issues with. So, so how many of you know that the quality, watch this, the quality of my external world will always be proportionate to the health of my internal world? And David is in Psalm 32, and he's like, I closed myself off, and I felt like my bones were turning to powder. Have you ever been to the doctor? I've been to the doctor. And when I started getting closer to 40, the doctor started asking me questions he never asked me before. It used to be like, you're 25, take your blood, your blood pressure, your whatever, check, bam, you're done, your temperature's good, you're healthy, go. Doctor started asking me questions when I started going. He started asking me things like, are you very stressed? I was like, dude, you're a medical doctor, not a psychologist. Why do you need to know whether I'm stressed or not? I'm here to find out how my physical health is. But the doctor understands something. The doctor understands that if this is experiencing stress, then my body will begin to exemplify the stress that's going on in my world. So he can't really take care of this without helping me think about this. Doctors are smart enough to know that they need to ask some questions because what's going on in the unseen realm of my life is actually showing up in my body and it's showing up in the seen parts of my life so that I have to begin to learn how to become a healthy human from the inside out. Now what the doctor may or may not know is that if I can ever learn how to stop ignoring this, and if I can ever learn how to open this, then I give God an opportunity to introduce things into my inner world. This is what the Bible talks about, about being transformed by the renewing of your mind and not being conformed to the pattern of the world. So you're either being shaped by culture or you're being shaped by Christ. Christ lives down in here in the unseen realm of your life, but he doesn't do things without your permission. Y'all don't miss that. Jesus is Lord of the universe. We heard it today. He's Lord of all. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus in Psalm 2, when the kings of the earth gather together, when the G8 summit takes place and they try to figure out how they're going to run the world, the Bible says the king of heavens laughs at them. 
He just gets a chuckle out of all of the global and international policy meetings that take place. But guess what? That king of glory lives in your heart, but he won't do a thing until you say, have your way in me. Until you say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And as soon as you do, he says, I've been waiting on you to do that. I'd love to heal that. I'd love to judge. I'd love to correct that. I'd love to redeem that and restore it. So, so the psalmist begins to teach us how to open up our lives. And we can learn by David's roller coaster ride that he went through. So, uh, so uh, you know, 1 John uh, Third John verse 2 says, Beloved, I want you to prosper and be in health, even as, everybody say, even as, even as your soul prospers. One of the greatest things we can do as a church, one of the greatest things we can do as Christians is to, is to remind you, to encourage you, to say, how is your soul doing? Not how is your salary doing? Not, not how is your happiness, not how is your job promotion, not how is your 401k doing, how is your soul doing, amen? So here in this series, as we remember and we forget not. So in verse number eight, an interesting thing happens. David opens up his soul to the Lord, and for the first seven verses, all we get is David. And it's David, and this is, I feel like a heavy hand is on me. I feel crushed. I feel under the burden. And then David says, but I opened up my soul to God, and I confessed my sin and my transgression to him. And the next thing you know, God starts talking. And God starts saying, hey, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to instruct you, and I'm going to surround you. So the conversation begins to shift when David opens up his heart. How many of you know that God wants to get involved in your internal dialogue? Now, I did a little research. Uh, watch this. Your internal dialogue is, is pretty interesting. It occurs ten times faster than your normal speech. What do you mean, my internal dialogue, Pastor Jay? What I mean is that conversation that you're having in your head right now. That one that never stops. The one that thinks, how long is he going to preach for? And what are we going to have for lunch right now? And is my wife still mad at me? And what are our kids doing right now? And who just texted me? That conversation, that one right there. The one that it goes on and on and on in your head. Watch this, 4,000 words per minute. 4,000 words per minute. Now, I know some people that can almost talk 4,000 words a minute, but, but they can't, okay? That's 10 times faster than normal speech. Why? Because you don't need your tongue or your vocal cords or your lips, and you know what you're saying before you say it, so you don't even finish sentences in your head. And you just, you just ramp that thing up. 4,000 words a minute, 10 times faster than normal conversation. But watch this. When you let Scripture and the Holy Spirit slow you down, and then you say, God, here I am in your presence. Then God says, can I get involved in that conversation? Can I remind you of some things? Because all that conversation is about how stressed out you are at work right now, how you're not meeting your numbers, whether your boss is going to let you go at the end of the year, whether you're going to get a bonus or not. But can God get in that conversation and say, I want to be your provider. I want to be your father. You have no need to worry. Jesus said, worry not about what you'll wear or the clothes that you'll get. But your father in heaven is watching. God says, I would like to be a part of the internal 
dialogue of your life. Can I tell you what I think about that? And so God gets involved in this internal dialogue that David is happening, and he begins to change the conversation. So I want to give you three things real quickly this morning that Psalm 32 teaches us, that when we slow down, God gets involved in the conversation. And I think these things will be really, really pertinent to the moment that we're in. Right now, the first thing that we notice is that David is consumed with the idea of protection. All David is worried about is the preservation of his life. But did you notice what God starts talking about when God, in verse 8, begins to speak? He says, I'll guide you and direct you. So watch this. Number one, when I feel like I need protection, God is actually offering me direction. David was in the middle of a storm of his life that he thought the storm was coming to destroy him. But when he got God involved in the conversation, he found out the storm wasn't going to destroy him. The storm was actually going to direct him. And I think we're in the middle of a storm right now in our nation and in the world. And if we don't have the mind of Christ, we'll believe that all we need is protection when God's actually saying, hey, if you'll let me, that wind from that storm that you thought was going to blow your house down, I'm actually going to take the force of that wind and use it to propel you into the next thing that I have for you. Don't be afraid of a storm. God can use it to direct you. God can use it to rearrange you. God can use it to reprioritize some things in your life. The Apostle Paul found himself on a boat in Acts 26 as a prisoner on his way to Rome. And the Apostle Paul was a disciple of Jesus. And a great storm came against that boat. And I just imagine that the Apostle Paul probably had to give it a shot because he had heard about Jesus. When Jesus was on a boat and the storm came, Jesus said, peace, be still. If I'm Paul, I'm giving the peace be still trick a try. I mean, I'm going to give it a whirl. But how many of you have ever said peace be still to a storm in your life and it kept on raging? Sometimes it calms down, but sometimes it doesn't. But what you can know is that anytime God doesn't calm the storm, God will use the storm to get you where God wants you to go. The storm might look scary, but it's also a vehicle in God's hand. Paul was on his way to Rome, had no plans to stop at Malta, but God said, Paul, I need you to take a stop at Malta, and the only way I know how to get you there is to send a storm your way so that you'll make a stop you hadn't planned on your itinerary. Just rest in me. And he told Paul, he said, that storm is going to take the ship, but it won't take your life. How many of you know there might be some things that fall apart in your life, but you won't fall apart as long as you're connected to Jesus. This ship might not make it. This job might not make it. This season may not make it. This relationship may not make it. But at the end of this storm, I'm still going to be standing because my life belongs to Jesus. 
I might be sick. I might be crippled. I might be depressed. I might be at the bottom. But if Jesus doesn't say it's time for me to go home and be with Jesus, no storm, no sickness, no height, no depth, no principality, no power, no angel, no demon, nothing shall by any means be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so he says, don't be afraid of the storm. Don't be afraid of what seems like it's coming to destroy you. God can use it to direct you. Number two, I want to tell you that we get, we get to determine the method of our movement. We get to determine the method of our movement. What I mean by that is that God tells him, I want to guide you and direct you. And then God gets real raw with the psalmist. And here's the message. This would be a great title for my message, but I wanted to preach about it a little bit more than this. But the title for my message would be, Don't Be a Mule. I could go with a few permutations of that title, but I won't do that. So we'll just stick with, Don't Be a Mule. Don't Be a Mule. So God says to the psalmist, I'm trying why are you going through something that feels like it's destroying me? God says, because I'm trying to get you to a different place. That's why you're going through what you're going through. I'm trying to move you to a different, I will guide you. I will direct you. I will surround you. I will get you where I want you to go. Don't be like a mule. What does being like a mule have to do with me? Well, here's the thing. If you're a sheep, then just the sound of the shepherd's voice will get the sheep to move. But if you're a mule, when you hear the shepherd's voice, you just keep on eating that grass that's right there in front of you. And then the shepherd says, come on, boy, I said, let's move. And, the, and you know what it takes to move a mule? A storm. It takes a storm to move a mule. It takes a storm to get a mule's attention. And God says, I'm trying to move you, but you get to decide what is the external circumstance and the external factors that are going to be the force that moves you. There may be a storm coming, but if you'll pay attention to the still, small voice and respond to it, even when things are going well, you might save yourself from some pain. But God is committed to getting you where he wants you to get so he'll start with a still small voice and if that doesn't work he'll send a friend and if that don't work he'll send a pastor and if that don't work he'll send a problem and if that don't work he'll send another problem and if that don't work he'll upside down your whole world because God says you can't stay here any longer I've got something new for you so I feel like we're all in this boat in 2020, and I don't, can't tell you what everything's happening. I can't explain everything, but what I, what I, the only conclusion I can come to is that there's some new places God wants to get us into. And, and anytime things get shaken up in my life, I know that God is allowing things to be shaken up because He wants to get me to the place that He wants me to be. If it takes a storm to get you to draw near to God, you're being like a mule. If a still small voice can move you toward God, then you're being like a sheep. 
the Sunday school lesson today, ladies and gentlemen, is be like a sheep. Don't be like a mule. Now, just look at that person that you're married to sitting beside you right now. Just say these words to him under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of God, in the house of God. Just look at him and say, don't be a mule, honey. Just don't be a mule. <laughs> that did not help many marriages today. <clears throat> number three, number three, the last thing I want to tell you this morning. Are you learning anything? Number three, this psalm tells us that when we, when we open up, our inner life to God, He surpasses our need. I want you to catch this. I'm going to slow down right here. He surpasses our need, and He surrounds us with mercy. He surpasses our need. David thought, I need, I don't know what I need. I need somebody to get this thing off of me. Pastor Jordan, can you just come help me? David said, I need somebody to get this thing off of me, and and God says, yeah, I can get that off of you, but I also want to give you something more than that. How many of you found out that if you just deal with God based on your needs, you're going to miss out on a lot of God's purpose for your life? See, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else that you need will be taken care of. So needs are not the primary avenue of my relationship with God. God says, what needs? Are you kidding? Like a refrigerator? Are you kidding? God says, I own a thousand, a cattle on a thousand hill. I don't need, I don't have no problem getting you what you need. It's your needs aren't the issue. That's what's weighing you down. What I want is your heart. And if you give me your heart, then I'll take care of all your needs with great joy. But you're over there stressed out about your needs, and I'm trying to talk to you about your heart. And so in, in, even in terms of how we understand salvation, the most Christians' understanding of salvation has only to do with our needs. And so we say things like this, I need forgiveness. Because we know we've done some stuff wrong. So we think that salvation is forgiveness. Can I tell you that salvation is much more than forgiveness? And if the only way you understand salvation is forgiveness, you're missing out on so much of what Jesus gave his life to bring you into. So that if you think that all I need is God to do is to forgive me, then God says, you can be forgiven. That's not an issue. But I've got so much more for you. And until you invite me into the internal conversation of your life, I can't open up your eyes to everything else I want to do in your life. And so... Here's, here's David, Pastor Jordan's going to be David, and he's, he's just in a miserable place. He's all hunched over. He's like hunched over. His bones are drying up. One translation said, my bones became powder. So I want you to like, I mean, just get down there, just like, it's just a weight of the world's on him. And so, so yeah, that's better. So, so I'm going to be God, and so you just stay right down there, and here comes God. And so the Bible talks about God's presence like a hovering presence, right? And so, so here's what I want you to see. I think you're going to see something you, you at least I, I hadn't seen before. So I'm hoping maybe you've seen it before. You could email me. But it, God's hovering over David, right? And David says, I feel like God's heavy hand is on me. And my bones are drying up. And I'm crushed. And all this pressure, right? And, but, but here's God. God's hovering over him with his presence. And so, so watch this. The psalm gives us a key. Because the psalm never says that God changes. 
The psalm says, David changed. He said, I was closed off to you, and I felt like you were coming to crush me. I felt like you were mad because of what I did. And I felt like your heavy hand was upon me. But when I confessed my sin to you and turned around, I found myself surrounded by mercy. <laughs> David said, while I was closed off, I thought God was after me. But when I opened up, I found out God was for me. I found out God wanted to flood my life with mercy. and I found out God didn't even want an explanation. God didn't even want me to go through that. He just said, I've been waiting for you to invite me in to this area of your life. And I don't have judgment for you. I've got mercy for you. But as long as you're closed off to me, you'll be confused about what the presence of God is doing in your life. Watch this. Watch this. The cross doesn't change God's mind about us. The cross doesn't change God's mind about us. The cross changes our mind about God. Did y'all get that? So, what Jesus and his revelation of who God is, it doesn't mean that he gets God in a good mood. It means that he gets me in a place of understanding what God is really like. And I open myself up so that in areas of my life, and here's what I want you to see. There are areas of your life, maybe certain areas are going well. But watch this, there's some areas of your life where you feel like if God could, he'd slap you. Where if God could... He'd harm you. Can I give you some good news this morning? There's no area of your life where God's looking to harm you. The only thing God's looking to do is heal you today. Can you say amen to that? Can you give God thanks for that? All God wants to do is heal you. There was a, an early church father who talked about Jesus in this way. And he talked about the reign and the rule of Jesus. And then he talked about the judgment of Jesus. And I want to see if I can just drop this seed in your mind. But he said it's a therapeutic judgment. That means that whatever Jesus comes to correct in my life, he's always coming as a physician. He's always coming to heal and restore. So there's never a moment in my life where I need to be afraid to open up and say, God, would you come in to this place? See, I learned all my life, and I'm getting ready to close. You can come to the keyboard if you want to. I learned all my life. I was taught this as a kid, and lots of church people are, that God is too holy to look upon sin. That God is too holy to be in the presence of sin. So if sin is in my life, then somehow God is having to get some distance between him and that sin in my life. And, I, and so every time I had sin in my life, I always was, was perplexed because I thought, I want God close to me, but this is here, and i got to get this dealt with. Do you see the dilemma? God can't get close to this. i got to get this dealt with. 
But I can't deal with this. Can I give you a message? You can't deal with the sin in your life. You're not equipped for that. That's what Jesus does. So here comes Jesus. And everybody says, what is God like? And you know where Jesus is? Hanging out with sinners. Running around with people who are sinning all the time. And Jesus subverts this whole idea and lets us know that it's not that God can't stand to be in the presence of sin. God is not intimidated by sin. God is not afraid that he's going to get contaminated by sin. God is not nervous about sinful humanity. God is Lord and King of all. So the reality is is that that's a lie to keep me distancing myself from God when I need God more than I've ever needed him. And the truth of the matter is, it's not that God can't stand the presence of sin. The truth of the matter is, sin can't stand the presence of God. Y'all didn't get that. I said it's not that sin. So that means David in Psalm 32 says, I got this sin that was killing me. And as soon as I opened my life up to God, the healing powerful presence of God the mercy of God flooded that area of my life and now it's full of God and the sin couldn't stay but as long as I was believing this lie that I had to be over here by myself trying to sort this thing out till I could feel like I was good enough to get into the presence of God. Then I was in this dilemma and my bones were drying up. But Psalm 32 tells us all you've got to do is quit worrying about that dilemma. Quit worrying about whatever was going on and just say, God, I can't do this without you. Would you surround me with your mercy? Would you flood me with your mercy? I need you more than anything. David says, if we remember, are you with me, church? If we remember what God is really like, if we remember what Jesus really teaches us, then in moments of difficulty, in moments where we have areas of our life that bring us shame, we'll find ways to say, God, that's the area more than anything. God, I don't need to fake it to you. I don't need you to tell you about how every part of my life that's going good. You already know the good, the bad, and the ugly. God, I need to talk to you about this area that I don't talk to anybody else about. That thing that you know and I know that nobody else knows. God, that's where I need your mercy. And God never, listen to me, church. Listen to me. Listen to me online. God never, never looks at you. He says, man, I can't believe you got that going on. God never looks at you in condemnation. Here's how much condemnation there is. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because of Jesus. So come on, church. I want to invite you to just stand to your feet. Let's just begin to open up our souls for a minute. Can we do that? Can we just begin to open up our souls in the presence of God and thank Him for His mercy this morning? Wherever you're watching from online right now, would you just lift your hands toward heaven and would you just begin to thank God for His mercy. Thank Him, Lord, that as we open up our souls to you today, you flood us and surround us with mercy. God, we want to remember your mercy. We want to remember your goodness. God, we want to remember your healing today. So, Lord, we open up our hearts. We open up our mouths. Come on, just open your mouth and begin to give God thanks. I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
Just ask God to surround you right now with mercy. Yes, yes. Oh, 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 oh,